Yes, welcome to On The Mic. My name is Mike Goldman, the podcast that interviews people who work on the mic for a living. If you sing, if you rap, if you're an actor, if you're a life coach, or maybe even the world's best bingo announcer like Johnny Bongo that I interviewed a couple of weeks ago from Bongo's Bingo, we'll interview you. Please contact me if you think you know someone that should be on the podcast. Just send me an email, mike at onthemike.com. Today we have a legend by the name of Holly Brisley. She's a good mate of mine and she's one of the most loved faces in Australian TV. She hosted shows like the Looney Tunes show, World's Craziest Home Videos, uh, competed in Dancing with the Stars and almost won. She was on Home and Away and started in films like Garage Days, The Crop, and played Heather Locklear in Dynasty. She's had a few years off to bring up her kids Levi and Willow, and she is back. She's got movies going on. She's producing. Can't wait to talk to her. But before I do... Some of you may or may not know that one of my other jobs is to be the courtside guy at the Sydney Kings out at Kudos Bank Arena in Sydney. And the draw has been done and we kick off on October 7th. We'd love you to come out and see some of the games. Heaps of home weekend games in what is by far the best basketball stadium in the Southern Hemisphere, maybe the world. Kudos Bank Arena. Get your season tickets at a discount now at sydneykings.com. Andrew Gaze, coach is back. Leonard Copeland, assistant coach. Tommy Garlop, Kevin Lish, Brad Newley, Jason Caddy, and Todd Blanchfield's coming across from Melbourne to play for Sydney, which will be interesting because we hate Melbourne, so <laughs> it'll up the ante. Uh, he also plays for the Boomers as well, so he's a great addition to the team. And our old assistant coach, Dean Vickerman, has gone to be the head coach of Melbourne as well. So get your season tickets now, sydneykings.com. And if you like NBA, come and meet Matthew Delabadova. Yes, the legend... Yes, Matthew Delavadova is going to be at Amart Sports Chadston in Victoria on Saturday, the 5th of August from about 12 o'clock. This guy, get this, Delavadova won the NBA title with the Cleveland Cavaliers, beating the Golden State Warriors, signed a four-year, $38,430,000 contract with the Milwaukee Bucks. $38 million, that's like, he's earning a million dollars a month for four years, $250,000 a week. That is crazy. Anyway, I can't wait to meet him. So if you want to come down and meet him as well, Saturday the 5th of August at Amart Sports in Chadston in Victoria. If you're enjoying this podcast and you want to help keep it going, we would love you to help us. Go to patreon.com forward slash on the mic just to help us fundle the hosting, producing, editing, and making this podcast come to life. Patreon.com forward slash on the mic. And thank you to Rachel for helping edit this one with Harley Brisley. And here she is. Fire it up. Let's do it. Slot two, check. On the mic with Mike Goldman. Icicles, popsicles and test one, two. Now coming to you live from the Beach Road Hotel, it's international superstar celebrity Holly Brisley. Hello. Oh, where's my applause? Oh, <laughs> can, can you, can can you can put that in afterwards? Hold the microphone. Oh, there's your applause. Listen to these people go wild. Hello, Beach Road. Yeah, I can hear them. <laughs> they love you. They must have seen you on Home and Away. What was your character's name again? Amanda Vale. Oh, Amanda Vale. The resident vixen. She was. It was, it was a few years. That was fun. You enjoy working on that show? I did. I loved it. Just the pace. It was just great to have steady work. You've done so many cool things in your career. Born in Adelaide. This is the stuff that I got off Wikipedia that I'm remembering off the top of my head. And uh, moved to the Gold Coast and landed this awesome gig working on a show called Agro's Cartoon Connection, which I loved. I mean, I grew up with Boris's Cartoon yeah, Connection or something or whatever it was where um, this weird character and Agro was on it. And then, and then you came along and did Cartoon Connection, which 
like got nominated for Logies and won them. And your career just skyrocketed from there, getting to do so many cool things. I mean, you even, you won Dancing with the Stars. Well, you won third place. Yeah, I won third place. Tom Williams kind of pipped me at the post. He, he, he took his shirt off. <laughs> That's right. Why didn't you take your shirt off? I would have voted for you. You know what? I could not, well, yeah, I don't know about that. I don't think Channel 7 would love um, that, but... Yeah, I mean, he, he really did look seriously hot. Mm. There was no competition. As soon as he took that shirt off, I was like, damn, I'm done. <laughs> and the acting has been amazing for you. You've, uh, you've been in a couple of movies, feature films, Garage Days, I think I remember. And did you do some sort of Dynasty remake where you played Heather Locklear? Yeah, so I did. I played Heather Locklear, which was great. And you know who else was in that? Rachel Taylor, who's gone on to be a huge success over yeah. in the States. She's doing some great stuff. And also Tim Campbell, who ended up playing my ex-husband on Home and Away. Timmy, where's Timmy now? He's over in the States as well. So, yeah. Did you ever have a crack at the US? Did you live over there at any stage? I went over for a month and... For me personally, I was quite young at the time and I just found it to be a little bit daunting mm. and I was just a bit I was a bit scared that I was a little fish in a massive shark pond. Yeah. So I never really went and did the whole big move. Mm. But I am I have my high, my sights set on it at some point. Yeah, looking at doing it and at the moment you've got a couple of feature films coming up because you've taken time out to have babies. You just yeah. mentioned before you what have you been doing this morning? You're dropping the kids off at ballet and footy? <laughs> Uh, Saturday mornings, I swear. It's ballet at 8.15 in the morning. My son had footy at 9am. It's just the weekend's sort of over before it even begins and it's just full of kids' sports. But yeah, I have a son who's about to turn eight and a daughter who will turn five, both of them in July. And so they keep me busy. How do you like being a mum? I love it. I mean, it's, you know, it's the most rewarding role you can ever do really but you know it has its moments like anything Mm. you know some mornings I just want to kill them um not literally Mm. but you know you're pulling your hair out going oh how many times can I tell you to grab your shoes or put your shoes on Mm. so there's those moments where you you know you're just like get me out of here but on the whole you know there's nothing that can ever compare with being a parent you know just the the rewards are huge and the love and and just I guess having that experience of being able to teach there's a lot of learnings that happen for both sides I'm learning from them all the time and and you you hope that you're teaching them come on Holly cut the crap you hate it it sucks doesn't it having my brother he says I love my kids but seriously don't do it man you know just have your career have your life I mean they're great you can you can borrow them whenever you want really you never you never go through that stage where think oh my god what have I done oh like I said I definitely have those moments where you do literally want to pull your hair out but no on the whole I think you know early days is probably more difficult than it is now I think I'm getting to the easy part As soon as the youngest hits four, I think you're really on the home run for a while. And I'm thinking about doing it. Oh, I think you should. Yeah. I really do. My girlfriend has said we, we can have a baby in two years. So that means I got to get her pregnant in, what, 13 months? Yeah. Because that's when the baby will pop out in two years. And she goes, no, 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 no. That's when I'll get pregnant in two years. Well, that's like that's like three years. But so we're thinking about it, But she just got her green card like two days ago in the green card lottery. So now that's turned everything on its head because it looks oh. like we're going to do some stuff in the US. Oh, nice. Yeah. yeah, I was in that green card lottery for a while. I need to go back in it, don't I? It's, it's amazing. Like you get your green card for 10 years. 
so you can go backwards and forwards to the States, but you have to go at least twice a year, otherwise they'll take it back off you. You can work there and do whatever, because I lived there for a couple of years, and my O one visa, which is for people of extraordinary ability, so you've got to give them all these letters from people saying, oh my God, Mike Goldman's amazing, I love him, and he, he did these TV shows, and you've got to send them all these newspaper articles, and Americans go, oh, okay, that's good, yeah, we'll let him in his O one visa, but you're only allowed to work in the industry that you worked in in that country. So I could be acting, TV hosting, and I couldn't do anything else. Like I couldn't go and work on radio to make some money on the side until the other stuff kicked in or you know, go and work in a bar or, or whatever. So you're stuck in that world. And, and it drove me mental because the only money that I could make was the work that I was chasing. So to get a green card is amazing if you can score it. That's really interesting that you say that because I am trying to work out which way to go. But then I've heard that the green card can be a little bit of an issue because if you have assets in Australia, it becomes a bit of a tax problem. Like hoax. Yeah, well, that's exactly right. So I don't want to end up in a situation where, you know, they think that they own assets in Australia or whatever it is. So I'm about to start that process of trying to figure out which way to go because obviously I could do the O1, I hope. I mean, I'm hoping. Of course you'll get the O1. (laughs) But it's so much work. It's so much shit. It costs about eight grand to get an O1 visa and you get it for three years and it's like a a mountain of paperwork that you got to go through and fill out. you got you got to pay the lawyer all that money and then you got to have a thousand meetings with them sorting it out and then you got to got to get other people to write exactly what the lawyer wanted in the letter so you're going back to all your old employers saying do you mind writing a letter saying how good I was so I can get my own one I mean eventually you get there but my the first lawyer that I hired to do it turned out he wasn't even a lawyer and I, and I got ripped off like three and a half grand so you gotta be really careful and make sure you use the right person but how's what happened to Hoag's like when you know because we were talking about tax before when Hoag's you know he had the Australian tax department saying oh you've been living in the states for this long you owe us half your money and he's, he's like on a current affair and everything you go, nah man you're just being greedy and got away with it like you don't want to be in one of those situations that's gonna suck uh, only Paul Hogan could get away with that right I don't know it's just the way he says it I think do you think, you think like maybe the Prime Minister back then, I don't know who it was, was it Kevin Rudd or something like that? Probably stepped in and go, Oh, let him go. It's hoax. Yeah, yeah he's done enough of the country. Oh, he's pretty funny. You know, like he's just got such a good history here in Australia. You know, he, he started out as a comedian. I think he used to paint the Harbour Bridge, though, yeah, as well. He did. He, he painted the Harbour Bridge. So, yeah, he has a great history with Australians. And hey, let's face it, Crocodile Dundee yeah. is one of the best movies that's ever come out of Australia, really. Did, did you watch the hoax series on, on Channel 7? No, I didn't. I haven't yet, but I really want to. Did you watch it? I was in it. Oh, were you in it? I played an American TV reporter, interviewing Paul Hogan and Linda Kozlowski. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Well, I'm definitely going to watch it. But I think it's interesting going back to the whole American thing and tax and prime ministers and presidents and stuff. I'm actually quite concerned about Trump. Why are you concerned about Trump? Well, now that I'm about to look into this whole thing, I just don't know what's going to happen with us. Hopefully us Australians are okay. What are you worried about Trump for? Well, whether he changes the... Immigration laws. Yeah, 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 the rules. Yeah, well, he's got... um, Because Obama put these these rules in place that he was trying to get through Congress where certain countries couldn't uh, immigrate to America. Like he put the immigration... Wanted to put an immigration ban in place. And then Trump came along and he's tried to do the same thing that Obama did. But everyone's up in arms saying, how could you do that? Because, you know, obviously everyone's out to get Trump, but you've got nothing to worry about with him. I don't I don't think so. I mean, I, I think there's a lot of people who are bagging him and saying how horrible he is, but, I mean, he's, he's, he's not a very good messenger. He's not a, a great president in the way that he, he carries on like a bit of a wanker. Yeah, yeah. But, but he, he's doing a, a lot of things that are, are great for their country. I think yeah. there's a lot of people just get freaked out by the fact he was on a reality TV show and, you know, he owns all these Trump buildings. Trump. And, yeah, and he might just be a rich billionaire 
billionaire trying to make it out for himself. But I, I know I, I think that if you actually do your own research and you look at the policies that he's got, the, the things that he's doing in the country are pretty good. Yeah, well, he's not afraid to take the hard road, yeah. that's for sure. So. I mean, he says some fucked up shit like, hey, I'm just going to go and grab her on a pussy or whatever, you know, and all that kind of thing. But that, that just says how fucked up America is in the, in the way that they will vote for someone like that over Hillary Clinton. Yeah, that's right. What a crazy time we live in. It is. Whoever thought you'd see the day that that's how our campaign would run and, and what eventuated was just out of this and, world. And now they're like, oh, the Russians, you know, hacked in and there's this big investigation, you know. Did, did Trump collude with the Russians? But the Russians have been trying to change elections in America and hack in for decades. I mean, it's not just Trump. Yeah. What they should be investigating, I reckon, is how Hillary Clinton ended up getting to run instead of Bernie Sanders. Because I reckon Hillary stole that, that election, yes, you know, the little mini election they had so that Bernie or, or Hillary could run. Anyway. Well, maybe, hey. maybe if you uh, went through her emails, you'd be able to discover that. Yeah, well, she's got about a, a gazillion emails online. But, but apparently that's like, she, she's saying, oh, the Russians hacked in and they took all my emails. But, you know, if you didn't say or do anything wrong, then who cares? Wasn't it a case of her not giving people access to her emails? I thought that they were trying to access her emails no, and she wouldn't let them. No, what, what she did is she, um, rather than using the uh, whitehouse.gov.au or, you know, like <laughs> whatever their email address is you're supposed to use at work. She, yeah, she, she, oh, that's the local one in, in Australia. But she used like a Gmail account or something like that that it, like, is really easy to hack into but the Russians silly girl ah, see that'll learn ya that'll learn ya but anyway we're getting political but it's not about politics it's about Holly Brisley so you climbed Mount Kilimanjaro I did well you could say I tried I attempted it's not easy is it I've got friends who have, have climbed up to base camp at Everest and they reckon Kilimanjaro is harder Really? Yeah. Well, I'm going to run with that because I found it excruciatingly difficult. And yeah. in fact, I got evacuated off the mountain. Do you remember what route you did? We did the lower one, which took an extra two days. I think you can do it in five days or seven days. Yeah, I did and the extra one as well. Yeah, so we did the seven day one. And oh, come. Did it rain the whole time? No, it wasn't too bad. Mine fucking rain the whole time. Oh, really? No, we were fine. No, the weather was great. I, I loved the different change of landscapes, though. Yeah. You know, you sort of start in a rainforest yeah. and then you get sort of halfway up and it becomes a little bit more... It's incredible. Uh, it's like you're walking on the moon or something the, like yeah, that. So end. barren. It is. By the end, you are like, am I on Mars right now? <laughs> it's just really... Just the different landscape the whole way through was intriguing to me. Were you with a big group? I did it for the Humpty Dumpty Foundation. Oh, yeah. So th this was very difficult because all of us, collectively, we raised a million dollars from just oh, this. Wow, week. that's awesome. It was really good. But So personally, I raised $50,000, which, which is why I was saying it was difficult because, yeah. you know, the first sort of 30 grand, I found okay. Like it was pretty easy to, to kind of get your friends and your family yeah, yeah, and, yeah. and whoever else. Yeah. And But the, that last 20000 mm. was uh, so difficult to but raise. What a great cause. And for doing it, you know, for a great charity, you, know, you put your body through something that's so difficult. It's it's not easy climbing that mountain. I did it with a mate of mine, Sam Crane, and it was a last-minute thing because I was, I was drunk at his place the night before and he was going to go and he, he said he was pissed off that all his friends had pulled out on climbing Mount Kilimanjaro. He's going by himself. And I threw my credit card at him and said, buy me a ticket, I'll come. In next day, he goes, you better go and get your camping gear because we're climbing Kilimanjaro. And I'm like, fucking what? And I had to cancel another holiday and I just ended up going and doing it. But it was one of the hardest, but one of the most satisfying things that I've ever done. So incredible. It's really rewarding. Yeah. The whole experience for me was rewarding. Yeah. So going back to the fundraising, mm. personally doing that for 
for all of those children yeah. that benefit from all of Humpty Dumpty Foundation's machinery and hospitals. And I don't know if everyone knows about the foundation, but yeah. basically they supply hospitals uh, around Australia with much needed machinery that the government just can't afford yeah. to supply them. Well, and what so kind of machinery? Humidity cribs. Uh, humidity cribs, yeah. This is for, for like premature babies. For premature babies, yeah. Things that, not necessarily for premature babies, but for, for children in any circumstance that are dealing with life-threatening problems. Oh, yeah, my sister was born at like uh, 26 weeks. Oh, yeah, Which wow. is way premature. And like some states in Australia, they say, no, take, take her off life support. It's not going to last. But she's fine. And she got through it because of NETS and a couple of other organisations. Maybe the Humpty Dumpty organisation as well helped her get through. But it's incredible what they can do in this day and age now to save those kids' lives. Yeah, so from the walk that we did, they donated and created a gate. It's it's like a big thing out at the Westmead Hospital, I'm pretty sure. A million bucks, man. That, that's amazing. Congratulations. What was it like climbing the mountain for you? Did did you uh, you get to the top? So no, I I made it to the night before summit. Oh yeah, okay. yeah, and then I. Because you got to leave at midnight to get yeah. there at the crack of dawn, and did you just say piss off? I'm asleep still. So no, the night before that night, yeah. I that day I hadn't been feeling very well, and there were a lot. So I did it with Jane Fleming, her husband Ian. I did it with another girlfriend of mine, Alice, who uh, she's now like the vice president of Shiseido over in the states globally. Yeah. Oh, wow. So, so some really incredible people that are just beautiful on the inside and out and just everyone wanted to do a good thing and a good deed. Yeah. But it was it was fun because we all did training together. It was, you know, it was, it was just a great experience like all the around. altitude training and everything. We did altitude training. Yeah, right. We did the whole process, you know, the long walks with backpacks and the, yeah. you know, the daggy really? hiking sticks. <laughs> so you went yeah. to that extreme. Yeah, we, we fully out. prepared, which is why I was even more pissed that I didn't make it to no. the top. So, yeah, we, we did all of that. And, and so when did, when did you realise you couldn't make it to the top? Or were you sick or you vomiting or did you get altitude sickness? What happened? So, yeah, it was a form of altitude sickness. I got pulmonary edema. What's so that mean? It basically your body. So I was not dealing with the pressure and the, of the altitude. Mm. And all of the capillaries in my lungs started popping. What? So essentially, if I went any higher, I would have drowned in my own blood. So, yeah, it was pretty intense. The doctor, I had to spend the night on a full-on oxygen mask. The doctor, I had to go and stay in the medical tent. It was pretty scary. People die every year climbing that mountain. And because it's such a big tourism thing, they don't report the amount of deaths that happen on that mountain. And I was talking to a couple of the guides who I became friends with, and they said they reckon at least 15 to 20 people die a year and they don't report it. Altitude sickness is, you can't even describe it. I didn't have the full vomiting and all that sort of stuff. I know some people do experience that. But I was in good company. Jane Fleming was, she was in the fetal position for much of it. You know, every time we'd stop, she just was, she almost didn't make it, but she ended up pulling through and making it. And I was so determined to do it. I was like, no, screw this. I'm going anyway. I'm going to, I'm going to do it. But I can't tell you how awful I felt though you know it just all of my head like the headache that I had yeah, was you get headaches. full yeah, on I had that yeah crazy headache and a friend of mine had this other weird disorder my mate that I was doing it with Sam where his body was overproducing too many red blood cells and it was pushing it through his digestive system and it was turning his red blood cells into rocks and he was like pooping out these rocks <laughs> yeah, it was the weirdest thing but we ended up getting to the top and on the way to the top on that, that last night I stopped just to have a little rest and I started to fall asleep and the guy slapping me across the face he's going Mike wake up you cannot go to sleep if you go to sleep 
sleep, you will die. Because apparently you fall asleep on the mountain, that's it. Game over. No, yeah. really? You know, I don't think I fully understood the magnitude mm. Especially because it was Kilimanjaro. I think, you know, if you were doing Everest, you'd go, yeah, sure. Like, it's that's dangerous, that's scary. But because it was Kilimanjaro and like what you said before, how it's probably not, it's definitely not advertised that it's, you could lose your life. I hadn't really entertained that idea. They say pole pole. I think that's that's yeah. the saying. They say there because slowly, slowly. And there were, I wasn't fit, but there were all these super fit people who I saw being carried off the mountain who were vomiting because they went, right, I'm fit. I've trained for this. And they'd basically run up the mountain and they, they were vomiting and sick and they just had to carry them off. So it didn't yeah. matter if you were super fit or you yeah. trained so much. It's like if you just take it every step at a time and then stop and breathe a little bit and then keep going, you'd be okay. Well, that's it. It doesn't actually, it's, it's not a reflection on how fit you are. Yeah. My girlfriend has asthma and, you know, like, I mean, she's relatively fit, but if anyone was going to be evacuated out of the two of us, you would have thought yeah. the asthmatic would or it's did, just Did not. they go through? Did they make it yeah, to the top? she made it to the top. And then you've got people like uh, Martina, oh, I can never say her name. Navratilova. That's it. <laughs> she got evacuated and yeah. you go, okay, well, that's a full-on athlete. Yeah. Doesn't matter, man. You just got to do it as slow as you can. Would you go back and try again or would you do Everest Base Camp or something like that? Well, the interesting thing is as soon as I got back, my dad was, <laughs> my dad said to me, oh, I'm not surprised. He said, I'm hopeless at altitude. <laughs> I, I, I can't do altitude at all. And so I was thinking to myself, well, nice that you told me now. So I don't know whether it could be a hereditary thing, but I don't know. You know, sometimes I have a moment where I think it'd be nice to go and actually have that victory and and stand on the top there. But knowing how hard it was, was I think, do I really want to put myself through that? On the last day where you leave at midnight and you walk up there for the sunrise, it's fucking unbelievable one of the most amazing things I've ever seen not trying to make you feel bad because you didn't yeah, see no, it I saw, the vi- I saw everybody else's video <laughs> I'll send you the photo <laughs> my girlfriend actually just came to my house the other day and neither of us had watched the video oh, from really? our climb yeah. until recently so she's got a new fiance yeah. and she's sort of like let's, I really want to show him yeah, let's, yeah, right. let's all sit around and watch yeah. this video and you know obviously I feature in the first yeah. part of the movie and, <laughs> and then not the climb to the summit yeah. and I was thinking to myself then Oh, maybe I should do it again and this kind of sucks that I get to watch you do it again and how nice it was for you but I'm happy that she made it and that everybody else did of course do the shorter run there's a shorter run that you can do as well but on the last day like we went to the top saw the sunrise and then we thought alright let's go back down and we went to that place where you camped the night before and we thought it's snowing now let's just pack up our stuff and just keep going walking down the hill and we walked to the next camp and we thought it's only about 2 o'clock in the afternoon how are your feet we had a few blisters we thought fuck it let's keep walking by about 4 or 5 o'clock we got to the next part and we thought it's only another five hours so by about eight o'clock at night so we walked from the night before at about 11 p.m to get to the top till about 8 p.m the next night we had been trekking and our feet were just absolutely fucked and but we're glad we did because it was snowing and it was raining and it was shit so we're just glad to get the hell out of there yeah right hey part of the experience that i really loved was the porters the locals and just the songs that they'd sing along the way and and just having that experience where you could have someone on one time talking to them and then they did all those great dances at the end for us and i didn't get a dance you got a dance well you got a full dance at the end and everyone's singing and yeah i got to learn i can't even remember how to sing it now but they were teaching me a lot of their local uh songs jumbo is it jumbo 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 
Yeah, it's incredible yeah. over there. I'm, I remember um, my mate Sam, he didn't book the trip. We just showed up in Moshi and asked the taxi driver, you know anyone that takes people up to Kilimanjaro? And he's on the phone as soon as we got off the plane. Yeah, and he's like lining it up for us. And we went, no, no, too expensive. Then we went for a walk down the, the main street of town. Because if you book it from Australia before, it can cost you like up to 10 grand to do it. We ended up getting it for 1500 bucks each. Oh, that's good. Yeah. Nice. So anyone that wants to do it, just go to Moshi and find your own way. Yeah, okay. Yeah, don't do it my way. <laughs> no, actually do because my way is better. Raising all that money and yeah. doing a good cause. Raise some funds. Yeah, that's right. It is. You know what? The thing is I've been to Africa twice now and both times was part of a group and I'm going back again in July but this time I'm doing Mozambique yeah as part of a writing group so for some reason every time I've done Africa has it's I don't know I love the energy over there though it's there's something special about it yeah cool place so uh, tell us about this uh, feature film that you've just done that's it's going to do the rounds in the film festivals. Yeah, so where it's going to end up is still a bit of a mystery. But yeah, last year I did a movie called Life of the Party, which is a coming of age sort of youth film. Interestingly enough, all the characters sort of are mid-30s. And I find that intriguing because coming of age used to be so much younger, you know what I mean? I think 30-year-olds now, that half of them are still either living at home or they're, you know, no one's married, no one's had kids. It's just a, you know, everything's been pushed back, say, 10 to 20 years. My mum my had children at 20. You know, back in that day, everything happened a lot sooner. Whereas coming of age now, it just seems to be, you know, that 30 to 40-year-old mm. mark. And so the characters in that movie, none of them have sort of hit their stride yet. You know, they've all got jobs, but no one's really, no one's killing it, you know what I mean? And so basically one of their friends passes away and they decide that they're going to try and have the world's longest house party. They want to break the record for the world's longest house party. It's a, yeah, the, the way it came about was it's quite interesting, but they do attempt to break this record. And I, I think it ended up being something like 424 days something ridiculous. So what do you have to do with this movie? You just get drunk and party all the way through it? No, look, hey, there's a lot of... It, it's not like it's just wild and crazy. Half the time there's only six people in the house. You know what I mean? Like it's the rules of the party are that there has to be six people. There always has to be uh, music. Uh, what else? It sounds like Big Brother. There always needs to be food in the house. Yes, it does. It is a little bit Big Brotherish, And I guess it just follows the, the three main characters experience through this process and yeah i think they kind of realized that potentially it might have been a mistake and, and so what do you have to do in this are you uh like the one running the party or are you in charge uh, or so my character in that film she's sort of suffers a bit of anxiety or in social situations which is quite interesting because she ends up in a house party uh she is She's still trying to find herself. She's she's gay and has a, a great girlfriend. But then Do you get it on with chicks in it? Yeah. So, so you like full tongue kiss or is it like nude yeah. scenes where you're getting it on? What's the story? No nude scenes, but yeah, a bit of passion here and there. What's your husband think of that? He was okay with it. I think he preferred that than uh, if it was a guy. Yeah. <laughs> so Did he say, do you mind bringing her over for uh, you know rehearsals and I can watch? No. <laughs> My husband would never. He's too... Um, Conservative? No, he's not conservative, but... You know, it's, your, it's your art. I'm his and, and that's it. You know oh, what I mean? Nice. That's the way it is. We're a bit old-fashioned. That's good. Well, I look forward to seeing that movie. Um, you'll have to enter it in the Sanctuary Cove International Film Festival coming up in November. 
Yeah, well, definitely. Yeah. Yep. So that one, well, we're trying to get that one in cinemas. So we're, we're in, it's in the works right now. It does have quite a commercial feel to it. Yeah. And then after that one, I started my first ever producing role. So I produced a movie just, uh, we literally got back a few weeks ago from Tasmania. Mm. And that, that one's called Enter Sanctum. Totally different vibe. Totally. Horror? horror? Sort of. It's a sci-fi thriller. Oh, yeah. But I think that there's elements of horror. Mm. It's not gory or anything like that. But it's, it's definitely will keep people on the edge of their seat. Yeah, nice. And so who funded it? So it was a lot of investors, a bit of sponsorship deals. Big budget? So not a huge budget. I mean, an okay budget. And, you know, we, one of the other producers owned the resort. So we managed to, you know, it's amazing what you can do through favours and friends. And, you know, if we really put it all together Mm. and we had to pay for everyone's full rates, then you couldn't do it. Yeah, It's it's so hard to make a feature film. Like I was uh, working on Big Brother and these guys approached me who'd won all these screenplay uh, competitions for this screenplay they'd written and they'd won all these short film competitions but they couldn't get funding to make this feature film so they approached me and said hey listen we want to shoot a feature just to prove we can actually do it put all these actors around you and make out it's your actual real life and we tried to get funding for it like no one would give us money because it's our first film so we thought well fuck it let's just go and shoot it we've got cameras it's yeah. only going to take our time we just don't have the catering and the makeup artists and everything there and, yeah. you know, and, and too many other actors in every scene so we've got to pay a lot of people we don't like a scene we can just delete it and do it again and we ended up doing it It took like two years but we made a feature called Shooting Goldman that played film festivals all over the world in New York, LA, London, Japan and it's such a treacherous journey actually making a film and trying to actually get it to happen but if you can just pull favours and borrow cameras and you know like Cutting Edge is an amazing post-production facility they've done everything from The Matrix which you were in to the great... Matrix. Weren't you? No. In one of them? Like you in Girlin Cafe, it said online. I, I read it. Oh, really? Yeah, it said no. you're in Matrix Revolution. That might have been Ada Nikodemu. I know <laughs> she, she was in it, but no, I wish I was on the Matrix. In fact, the director who I've been working with yeah. on the last two features, he was in the Matrix. Yeah. And, and you know, we're, we're a bit of a team now, so we did the last feature and we're, cool. we've done this one just now. Mm. And I mean, one of the DOPs that we use... Mm. Casimir Dixon, he is amazing. He's probably one of Australia's best right now. Very good. So we've got like a really good team of people around us. It's now, you know, just getting runs on the board, I think. And I think we've got a pretty good formula and I'm expecting some pretty good things to happen. Do you enjoy producing more than acting? It's it's actually really weird. I've loved the producing side of it. Uh, It's obviously a lot more tricky and... Time consuming and yeah. it's 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 pretty full on. And, and Do you think there's a lot more pressure? Oh yeah, a lot more pressure. And as you said, it's treacherous. You know, it's just. And hey, I'm learning. We're all learning along the way. Yeah. So it's really weird. Like I feel now that the acting's kind of just. It's not enough now. And having I don't, there's a sense of. I don't know what it is, but I, it's it's kind of like I'm changing sides almost. And being on that other side is it's empowering and it's. It's just nice to be on the other side for a change, yeah. rather than being at the mercy of mm. of all the casting people and yeah. the and the directors and the and the whoever else mm. in the industry. You know, a lot of the time, you know, you never know why they say yes or no to you half the time. You know, you're up against half the time. You get down to the last two girls or whatever, and you don't get the role, and you're like, you like you you get so beat up about it. And it's just nice to have the 
just get the understanding of how it all works a bit yeah. more. And it's like, it's actually not personal half the time, you know? So it's just, yeah. Do you think sometimes it can be, well, I've found through my career, I've got a lot more work from, you know, going the extra mile after the audition and sending something to the producer and the director or maybe meeting up with them for a coffee instead of just doing the audition and, and fingers crossed and hope for, the, hope for the best. Do you ever go that extra mile and, and sort of see, oh, how can I, you know, get a one-up on the person who they might think is as good as me and actually get through and win? I hadn't really, I mean, it depends. In the acting world, no, not so much presenting wise yes because I've kind of got two lives so I've done a lot of presenting in my time as well but yeah I think I feel like I'm in this weird phase as I said about coming of age I really feel like I'm sort of doing that personally as well right now and yeah I kind of feel like that is something that I would do from here on in now that I probably have a better understanding of the whole big picture and that everyone's a person you know I guess I've always put you know the producers and the whoever else on a bit of a pedestal and of course respect is is necessary but I feel now that they're just people as well so you know that wouldn't be such a bad thing to do yeah when you're younger you don't see them as people you see them as these entities who who are (laughs) holding your career in their hands and and you freak out and you get so nervous when well I did whenever I was actually speaking to them and I felt like sometimes I'd do my my best my best auditions in the car just before I'd actually go in and do the real audition oh that always happens that even happens when you're working I think you know you do you do the rehearsal for the scene and then and then as soon as they say rolling you know action you just I don't know something happens you know that it's actually being recorded and I don't know I always feel like they should record the rehearsal when you go into an audition do you get a bit chatty and like hey guys what's going on what have you been doing do you shake hands with the people you're auditioning with and speak to them because some people will just go in they go hi and they just get into the moment and the role and they do it and then they say thanks and then they leave it just depends on the vibe at the time I think and and also what I'm getting back from them if they're closed down and yeah I'm a naturally chatty person anyway so I tend to go with the more chatty yeah because you're such a likable person and as a tv presenter you know you want to talk to people and you know you want to feel the vibe of the room and see where they're coming from and and I think sometimes in my mind I think that helps me get the role but sometimes I I probably just need to shut the fuck up and just do the audition yeah I think there is an element of reading the other person sometimes and and that's how I sort of normally do it get a bit of a vibe on people in the room and you know if they're really shut down I just sort of go okay that's cool I'll just you know go with it just do your thing I think actually sometimes it's better for me to to be more quiet because it helps you kind of center yourself and get into the zone a little bit better yeah I look there's no for me there's no rhyme or reason and no real formula it's just whatever is at the time so what was it like working on Scooby-Doo? Did you get to hang out with Sarah Michelle Gellar and Freddie Prinze Jr.? What's the story there? Uh, unfortunately, I didn't. What? My I know. My character was on a green screen pretty much. So oh. I didn't get to hang out with any of the Who other. Who was your character? I was, like this, I was actually a vital clue in the movie, but I was a video woman. So <laughs> It's a clue. Ah, oh, you could totally do Scooby-Doo. I was supposed to be Scooby-Doo. I auditioned for The Voice and they told me I've got it. And I was waiting until you guys had finished filming. I was so excited because I was living in Queensland where they were shooting it. And then everyone, including Freddie Prince Jr. and Sarah Michelle Gellar, Buffy the Vampire Slayer, said, this guy who's standing in the place of Scooby-Doo can do The Voice. You should use him. And they ended up using that guy. No way. I got it first. Oh, I'll show yeah. you. Holly Brisley and Scooby-Doo. See, I'm Scooby-Doo. I should have been Scooby-Doo. I was ripped off. 
Yeah. That, that's what I was talking about before. You know, you got to you get along with people, you know people. It's not what you know, it's who you know sometimes. I really agree with that. And it is. It's it's very much a relationship-based industry. And, and I had a shit agent. They should have signed me on a contract <laughs> as soon as they told me that I had the gig. Absolutely. Yeah. yeah. You know what? And that's another thing. It's yeah. You know, it's there's so many moving parts all the time in this industry. Have you had a few agents over the years? <laughs> I've had so many. <laughs> so have I. <laughs> Do you think it's good to have an agent for a certain amount of time and go, all right, I've exhausted all their contacts. Let's go to the next one. You know what? No, I really feel that I was on a good thing. I was with Bedford and Pierce for so many years yeah. from when I was I first moved to Sydney in 1997. Yeah. And I was really, I, you know what? That's going back to the relationship thing. I really had a great relationship with not only Martin, but also one of the girls in the office. Her and I were a team. You know, we would stay back late. We would, yeah. you know, we were right in it. We were very proactive. Yeah. And I was getting all my show rules in order and I was sending them. You know, when you're saying about having that, you know, doing going the next mile I was doing the next mile but before the auditions so I was like sending out my reels and and doing almost like my own marketing kind of campaign really and that was a bit ahead of the time back then and and so her and I were just really on it and then I don't know yeah I I swapped and I switched and I changed and and I really who are you with now I'm with just my voice agent who's sort of branching in. A lot of the time you'll probably score a role or a production role because you know people. That's how it yeah. works. So Scooby-Doo, you did your green screen thing. Did you hear any of the rumours about Buffy the Vampire Slayer and Freddie Prinze? Apparently they were sitting in their caravan and wouldn't come out until they'd finished playing their game of Scrabble and they were really hard to deal with. Did you hear any of that? No, I didn't hear that. But now that you just mentioned Buffy the Vampire Slayer, I just remembered that I used to watch that show all the time when yeah. I was growing up. I think I was in... Was it primary school or high school? Anyway, I was at school at some stage. And I remember there was a character on that show called Willow. Mm. And as soon as I heard that name, I thought to myself, if I ever have a daughter, I'm calling her Willow. And that's where I literally got my daughter's name from. From (laughs) Buffy the Vampire Slayer. So, yeah, but I I didn't meet them. I didn't hear any of those stories. I was very separate from... I heard you weren't allowed to look them in the eyes. They got upset if you looked them in the eyes on set. Oh, gosh, that sucks. I I can't tell you that was true or not. Hey, what about Dancing with the Stars? So you came third. Tom Williams beat you because he took his shirt off. But what was it like? Were you a dancer before that? Was it good being on that show? Yeah, so funnily enough, I don't know if you all know Todd McKenney, who he's gone on. He was the boy from Oz. He's done lots of musicals, and he was the judge on Dancing with the Stars. So his mum used to be my dance teacher on the Gold Coast. I grew up on the Gold Coast. Adelaide born, grew up on the Gold Coast, have been in Sydney for a really long time. He got you on the show, cool. No, he didn't. No, no, no. no. I. um, He was harder on you because he knew that you had a dancing history. That's right. So he was harder on me because of that. But no, it was just a sheer coincidence that I ended up on the show and his mum used to teach me. I was hosting World's Craziest Videos at the time and then on the back of that, they invited me to do Dancing with the Stars and then from there I ended up doing Home and Away. So I have done a long, long stint. Mm. You know, pretty much uh, Agro's cartoon connection was with Seven. Mm. I've had a, much of my career has been with either Seven or Nine. Yeah, Seven loved you. Who were the judges on Dancing with the Stars that year? There was Todd McKenney. Was Josh Lawson, not Josh Lawson, Josh Horner. Was Josh Horner a judge that no, year? No, no, I had Todd McKenney and then there was uh, Mercurio. Paul Mercurio. From uh, what was that? Uh, Strictly, Strictly Ballroom. Yes, yeah, from Strictly Ballroom, Paul Mercurio and Helen. Mm. What happened to Paul Mercurio? Where's he gone now? I don't know. I thought he was doing some cooking. Yeah, yeah, cooking. Mercurio's cooking show. Yeah, Our buddy. I have a vibe he's doing some kind of cooking thing. And then I th- think there was one other. Uh, was only ever three judges. Yeah, yeah. 
I, I could never do that show, man. I can't dance. I have two left feet. Uh, do you have to be a good dancer to be on that? Well, look, I had only ever done, you know, a bit of ballet, a bit mm. of jazz, a bit of tap when I was much, much younger. I hadn't done dancing for probably 15 years before I did the show and I had never done any partner dancing. Mm. So that was a whole new ball game, mm. having to be led by somebody yeah. and, and then learning all the different timing of the different songs. Mm. Because, you know, the classical, say the waltz, for instance, mm. has a completely different timing to the tango, mm. for example. So, yeah, I'm just learning the structure of the different forms of dance mm. and then learning it every week. It was pretty hard. It was very intense. What about being stuck in the arms of someone that, you know, you've just met and you got you to hold them for like hours and hours a yeah. day and, and, you know, like basically doing a crutch hustle with them for, you know, six or seven hours a day. Does that drive you mental? It was intense and I have to be, luckily my dance partner uh, was gay. So my husband... Oh, that's all right. <laughs> He's fine with that. Loved that. Um, and Mark, he's such a divine human being so I've become really good friends with my dance partner because so many of the people that go on that show in the past have ended up hooking up with the person they were doing the dance competition with well that's right look at uh, I'm just trying to think of her name right now um, oh, the girl that went went to the States to be a dancer on Dancing with the Stars over there oh, what is her name oh, Kim Kim Wilson yeah, she, she hooked up with the billionaire that she danced with on the show well, that's it. Yeah. It happens often. And then one of the girls, oh, I just saw her last weekend. I, I'm having a massive blank. She married her dance partner. Yeah. And she's got now that dance app and everything. Why can't my, my brains? Oh, one of them. But your husband probably said, as long as he's gay, I don't care. You can dance with him all day. Well, the thing is, it's very sensual, a lot of it. Mm. And you are very close and personal. Mm. And, you know, it's sort of heart on heart mm. and skin on skin, body on body for a lot of the experience so yeah you're right I mean it's acts now actually. it's not it's not a surprise that half of them have ended yeah. up hooking up with each other um, I've got a podcast I just recorded with Josh Horner and he hated working on that show with the other judge Todd McKenney Oh, really? Oh, hated each other's guts. Oh. Like, for real, not just on the show, but just, there was so much backstabbing and so much stuff. Yeah. You can listen to the podcast before this one. It's, uh, it, it's, it's an eye-opener to hear how much crazy shit happened behind the scenes. And by the sounds of it, Todd McKenney wanted him off the show. Otherwise, he wasn't going to do it anymore. Oh, that stuff happens all the time. You know, I've grown up with that. You know, there's people in the office or on camera and they don't like you and then they're t talking to the, the main people that, you know, they think you're crap. And unfortunately, unfortunately, I think it's Australia as well. It's all poppy. I don't know if it's tall poppy, but obviously in any close situation, in any office really, there's always politics. Mm. There's always people that don't get on. Fuckers. Who doesn't like yeah. Holly Brisley? Oh, look, I'm sure there's thousands. She's of the them. golden girl of Australia. No, I wouldn't go that far. But or maybe just of Adelaide. <laughs> <laughs> I didn't really grow up in Adelaide. I was born there though. So I think You're it's more funny. a Queenslander. I do. It's funny that we're having this chat because mm. yesterday I was talking to the director of Michael Budd and we were saying it's it's interesting in Australia how everyone claims you yeah. so so whenever I did press in Adelaide they're the you know Adelaide born Holly oh, and then you obviously I grew up in Queensland mm. so it's you know Queensland raised mm. Holly totally if I'm doing something here in Sydney and it's in the paper I say oh, I grew up on the North Shore but if it's in Queensland I say I was born in Queensland and like recently or oh, it's actually a few years ago now I got a call from the Sydney Jewish Times and they said uh, hi we're interested in doing a little story on you uh, for the Sydney Jewish Times and I'm thinking well I'm not really Jewish my name's Goldman kind of sounds Jewish but I don't really know if I've got any Jewish background and so I was just about to say you know I'm not Jewish and they said we're going to put you on the cover and I said well well, shalom. <laughs> <laughs> I 
I love and they put me on the cover of the Sydney Jewish Times. Uh, did you get bar mitzvah invite? Oh, yeah, man. I, that's actually what I'm doing now since Big Brother. I'm the MC of a lot of bar mitzvahs around Sydney. Really? Wow. No, not really. Oh, God, I was going to say because um, you're in the right area. Yeah, totally. Hanging out in Bondi. You're living in Manly. How are you liking it over there? Yeah, really good. It's a different vibe. That's my word of the podcast, isn't it, really? Oh, it's all about the vibe. Yeah, the marble. Yes, it's different. I think once we had our second child, Bondi just became a little bit too yeah. intense. And we, you know, you walk Too much bog- Bondi baggage you had to leave. Uh, a little bit. You know, there's only so many massively buff bodies full of tattoos and hipster kind of too cool people that you can walk past. Do you find Manly's a bit bogany? Because I went to St Paul's up on the hill at Manly and I, I just used to get in so many punch-ups in the street down there, people just harassing you. And I don't know if it's like that anymore has it changed much i think saturday night yeah that's saturday anywhere i think that is saturday night anywhere i don't see it that often but i'm not probably in the right spot at the right time these days you're at home looking after the kiddies exactly not all the time i still have fun but i'm definitely probably not hanging out in pubs and bars in manly at that time so so, hey, tell us about the uh, the celiac disorder. It's like an autoimmune disorder that you were like a spokeswoman for many years ago. How's that going? Is it still happening or are you, have you got it out of your system? Because I don't know a lot about it. So I got diagnosed. Growing up, I always had, always had a lot of stomach pains and I was always quite tiny. Mm. Never really knew what was going on. And then eventually I had a photo shoot and I'd had a massive pasta the night before. And that's the first time the photographer kept saying to me, Pull your stomach in. Oh, and you were bloated. I, yeah, I was really bloated. And oh, I was thinking to myself, it really hurts. Maybe it's something to do with the pasta I had last night. Mm. I'd never heard of gluten mm. in my life. So what I, is gluten? It's the stuff that holds together bread or something, isn't it? It is actually the protein in a lot of grains. Mm. So I find it very difficult. Basically, I can't digest or process mm. that protein. And it's it's becoming very common. Mm. I think when I was diagnosed, it was one in 11 people, but I think it's it's really... And, and it gets you you really tired as well. Yeah, so you get fatigued. Basically, what it does to your body is it, it strips the villi, mm. which is, I guess, the little particles that mm. that line all your intestines, I think, yeah. pretty much, and your digestive tract, mm. and basically it kills them all. So it strips it all, and then... So you get you know, a lot of inflammation mm. and, yeah, fatigue, mm. bloating... Didn't you do a TV show about it? Flatulence. (laughs) Oh, Holly. (laughs) Holly, stop that. Uh, Did you have a burger for lunch? (laughs) Holly. Everyone reacts differently. I ate some the other day, not recently, but I hadn't had it for since 2000 pretty much. It had been about 14 years at at that time, 17 years now. And I mistakenly cooked a big pot of macro pasta. Mm. And the packaging looked the same as the gluten-free. And I cooked it up and I was eating it and I was thinking to myself, what have I done differently? This tastes so good. And I kept going back over to the colander where it was sitting in the sink and I'm you know, stuffing my face with this pasta basically. Mm. And eventually I thought, oh, I'm just going to check the Uh-oh. ingredients on this. And yeah, it was that. Gluten. The da-da moment. And I thought, oh, this is going to be interesting. See how this goes. I'd had a whole bowl for dinner. Mm. And yeah, it took a few hours before it obviously hit the point where of no return. Bloated, tired. No, I actually was projectile vomiting. Are you vomiting? Full vomiting because I hadn't eaten it for so long. Oh. I was having like quite a severe reaction to it. In the olden days, 
you know, when I was first diagnosed, it was really just the bloating and the whole thing. But because I have abstained for it, from it for such a long time, yeah, I had quite an intense reaction. It affects people a lot worse. Like, I got a boxing coach and he had this kid who his, his parents thought, you know, he can't speak properly and had all sorts of different different mental problems and, and uh, they diagnosed him with all these different disorders. But the boxing coach said, why don't you just try getting him off certain kinds of foods? And they got him off gluten and the kid started talking properly. He was you know, acting better in class so yeah. it, it can really affect some people didn't you make a whole show about it Wasn't there a tv show that you made an appearance on oh i was on the cover of the celiac society magazine you're a celiac centerfold <laughs> I, 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 I knew it was you <laughs> i've still got it up in my bedroom <laughs> don't say that i've i've had some interesting situations with mechanics um because <laughs> you let me get this right you were like in the fhm top 100 hottest women in the world at like number 29 Oh, I think I got to... Oh, I'm sure I got to less than that at some point. Like number five, all right. Let's say number five. <laughs> um, but hey, not probably one of my prouder moments. What? Are you serious? Being one of the hottest women in the world? This is a girl who's already hosted TV shows. You're an actor. You're clearly not a dumbass Instagram girl that doesn't know anything. It just takes photos at the right angle. And then you make the top 100 hottest chicks in the world. That's awesome. Yeah, I mean, I was definitely chuffed at the time. And yeah, but it's one of those things. It's... Uh, I mean, what's what's sexy, really? Let's face it. You are Holly Brisley. <laughs> Thank you. I'm going to come on your podcast all the time. Oh, you are welcome anytime. <laughs> so what is that like? You did a whole stack of shoots for FHM. I think I saw you in Ralph at one stage as well. Didn't you make a cover? Oh, don't. Let's You're on the cover. Uh, let's not go there. You were a cover girl. It was a very, very, very long time ago. And I reckon you should go back and do another one. No, no. Only Annalise Brackenstreet. I can't even say her last Brackenstreet. Brackenstreet. She lives around the corner. She can pull that off. She, she is she off. is fucking hot. She is amazing. She's she's like in her forties, and the girl still has. I think she has like you know five million followers on Facebook, and she's, she's back in the in the nineties. She was the the world's most downloaded woman yeah. in the early two thousands as well. And she's just such an incredible girl. You, you yeah. ever met her? Yeah, yeah, yeah. I know her. Not really well but yeah obviously through the industry and and mutual friends and events and all that sort of stuff went to china with her oh what'd you do in china olivia newton john was doing a fundraiser to build the cancer wellness center in melbourne and they needed something like 20 million dollars and then the government would come up with another 20 million and she got all her celebrity friends i wasn't a celebrity friend it just turned out i had the same publicist called john scott he said hey you want to go over to china i know john scott and i'm like he's a legend great publicist saw him out the other night actually at stonewall Wall. Not that I hang out there often. I might have been podium dancing. My girlfriend and my gay friend took me there and it was a lot of fun. I'll just say that much. And uh, you can see my Instagram for any of the evidence. But he said, yeah, come along to China. And there's all these other celebrities going. And Cliff Richard, Phyllis Diller and all these great celebrities. I think even, um, I think John Travolta might have even showed up at one stage. But Annalise Brackensack was there. And we went to some of the worst parts of buttfuck China you could ever imagine. In the middle of nowhere on the Mongolian border. We went walking along the nice parts of the Great Wall of China. We were walking across piles of dirt that used to be the Great Wall of China and eating the worst food you could ever imagine. Danny Minogue was there as well. Uh, there's some of the best stories about my time in China. I went and did a documentary over there back in 2000, I think it was. And I just, <laughs> I find them hilarious mm. because obviously they, they do all the hocking up and the spitting and the uh. whole thing, which was fine. But then on top of that, I was getting into the full sort of dress code, like the, the silk robes and the whole thing for the documentary and I had my hair in the bun and the makeup and everything done and on this when you do those types of things you get assigned 
sort of these guides, I guess, and people that sort of take you around. Mm. And so we had these two guys that were in charge of us and one of them was called Mr. Knee. And anyway, I remember just taking my hair out and I put all these bobby pins down sort of on this brick fence or whatever it was. And he picked up one of the bobby pins and started cleaning his ear out with it. <laughs> and, and then sort of put it back in the pile of bobby pins. And I was just like, you know what, you can keep that. Oh. That's gross. Definitely don't want it. It's yours. I was in a, a restaurant in China and there's this guy walking around the restaurant. He had a really long pinky fingernail <laughs> and he, he would go around and get like 20 cents off people for sticking his pinky fingernail in their ear and cleaning Ooh. out their ear while they were eating dinner. No. Another, another time uh, we went to this restaurant and I was so hungry because the food that we'd had was just disgusting. I thought this restaurant looked kind of nice. And the first meal, they brought out a bowl. They put what looked like sand in it and poured milk on it. And they, they're like, shay, shay. And I'm like, oh, okay, whatever. I'll start eating it. I didn't know what it was. And then I didn't realize I was supposed to wait till they put the meat in it. And they plonked the meat in it. And I'm like, what is this meat? And the lady didn't understand what I was saying. I said, is it, is it like, Mrr? is it like, um, chicken and she's like oh, oh wait wait I find out and she came back and, and she goes oh it's eel I go what it's eel uh, eel like donkey and I'd already started eating it <laughs> no well I had so many of those situations as well because being part of a film crew mm. they wanted to put on banquets the whole time yeah. for us and at that point i think i'd just been diagnosed yeah. as a celiac but yeah. can you imagine trying to tell them that i can't eat these mm. things it was pretty much impossible i ended up having to i either ate white rice the whole trip or i got involved and i was just like oh you know what i'm just gonna eat it anyway right now because i was you know i wasn't adjusted to doing the whole celiac diet mm. yet anyway but i remember one situation where they had all these little sort of baby prawns that were tiny and they would pour them into it was kind of like a i don't know an alcohol of some description and they'd sort of pour them in and they were called life uh, life prawns so they basically put them in and they'd sort of I don't know, they'd get drunk in the alcohol and then you'd eat them almost raw, what? these prawns. And, but they have so, such great skill with their mouths. Mm. They would put these, either eat them whole or some of them would just go and sort of do this mouth movement and then spit out the shell. Oh. It was quite, quite amazing. But yeah, I never knew if I was eating turtle or snake. There were, like, this, this was all on the menu. Yeah. Did you get sick? No, I was all right, actually. Yeah. Everyone got everyone got sick on the tour. I think it's because it must have been one of the restaurants that we went to, except me, and I was fine. And then on one of the last days, cast iron stomach of yours. Yeah, well, I was I, I was pretty proud of myself, and because all the big celebrities weren't available because they were sick, I got to do the cross to Australia on sunrise with Koshi, and I'm like, fuck yeah, this is awesome. And I'm standing there, and I'm and Koshi's like, oh yeah, so tell us about the trip, Mike. And I'm going, well, you know, we've been along uh, Gandong, China, along the Great Wall, and just as I started saying that, my stomach went, <laughs> and my eyes, you could see when you I watched back my eyes went really big as if to say oh my stomach's a bit funny so I'm just I'm kind of holding it in because I'm thinking I'm, I'm gonna have the runs here <laughs> this, this isn't gonna be good and then um you know when your brain can't focus on what's going on in your stomach and your pants yeah. and you're trying to think of what you're gonna say on the television so I'm thinking oh yeah yeah Cliff Richard's here we knew we, and there's like how much money have you raised and I'm thinking I better answer these questions really quickly because I better get the fuck out of here I'm about to shit my pants and so I've just yeah, yeah it's going great uh, we raised this much money we're going here tomorrow uh, these celebrities are here thanks guys and they go and they keep asking me questions and I'm going, oh, I can't quite hear you. You're breaking up. And they go, oh, we better leave it there. And I'm like, as they said that, I thought, it's, it's a fart. Something in my brain said, just squeeze this out and you'll be fine. And I, I fully sharted oh, no. on national television. 
Did Koshi come back to you and say that was a really shit interview? <laughs> I wasn't invited back there again, but Annalise Brackensack comes into this story because after that, luckily I had, you know, good elastic in my underwear and I'm walking very carefully back to this crappy little oh, hotel no. room and it was her last day and she's ran around the corner up to me to give me a hug and go, Mikey, see you later, I'm leaving now. And as she said that, she looked at me and she went, oh my God. Um, I'll see you downstairs. And she looked at me like something, Parkins, thanks. Don't. And I saw her um, like a few years later, and I mean, I've seen her before then, and, and I'd never mentioned it, but things are a bit weird. And I don't. And so I, I thought I'd better just tell her one day that I don't smell like that all the time. And I told her, you know, you hugged me once, and I had a turd in my pants. <laughs> Oh my god, seriously? That's hilarious. She's a legend. So yeah, there's the, the finer moments in life. Mm. <laughs> so uh finer moments in your life. Yeah, you you're an amazing actress. So we're going to be seeing you on the big screen a lot more now because you've obviously got these two uh movies, one you're producing and and one that you're acting in. But uh you're also in another feature called Garage Days and what was that all about? I vaguely remember that one. Yeah, Garage Days was really cool. That was directed by Alex Proyas mm. and yeah, he's, you know, a world-renowned director and that was with, uh, do you remember Pia Miranda, yeah, yeah. Kit Gurry? That's right. Yeah. yeah, My Strange. There was a really good, cool kind of cast and yeah, basically it was a bit of a rock youth movie and my character in that I played this girl called Scarlett it was it was cool because I ended up having I was a full redhead Mm. in the movie and they did a wig so every single time I was on I had this full wig and they do have all this netting at the front to make it look really realistic Mm. it was interesting to see how they did it because Mm. you know so often when people are wearing wigs you Mm. go you're wearing a wig Mm -hmm. but the way they did it it just looks so real and natural and my character was basically Oh, this girl, she was she was dating one of the lead singers or guitarists in the band. Mm. It was about, you know, they were a, a, You're a, groupie. A, big, a big band. She was a bit of a groupie. She, want, she had her own talents, though, and she really wanted his manager to manage her. And so she sort of has her sights on that, and it's kind of a bit of a situation of doing whatever it takes mm. to get to the top. Right. Yeah. Where's that? Where can you see that? Is that like a Netflix or Stan or Presto or one of those things? Garage Days. That was... That's like an old movie No, now. but can you see it now? On any of those. I'm sure you probably can. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I'm not sure. Yeah, cool. And what was this Heather Locklear thing that you did? You played in uh, a Dynasty movie. What was that all about? Yeah, so that one was more of a TV movie for America. And How's your American accent? Yeah, it's pretty good. I, I need to brush up on it. Okay, we'll do the rest of the interview in American accent. Yeah. Tell you know me about what? Dynasty. I, I'm going to play a role over in the States later this year. So yeah, no way. I, I really need to practice this. So you got your visa? I, I have to work on that. Oh, you're in trouble then. you got to sort that out. It takes a yeah, while. I don't know. I, you know what? The producer from that one is, um, he did Mothers and Daughters. Uh, see, I've been watching Ray Donovan. Mothers and Daughters. Uh, I've been watching Ray Donovan. Yeah. And they're all Southie accents. Talking so, like you're from the... Okay, we can change our accents yeah. to talking from the deep so, south. So they're like, Shaw. 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 So it's totally different. Mm. Yeah, but... So that's cool. You're, gonna, you're shooting something in the States later this year. Yes. Yes, but sorry. What was the question you were on? Dynasty. Oh, yeah. Yeah, tell me more about Dynasty first. So Dynasty, yeah. So that was... That was a massive show in the 80s. It, it went for like 10 years and it had like Heather Locklear and... What was the name of that? Linda. No. Uh, Linda. Linda... Uh, what was her name? I can't remember her name. Van- no, not Evangeline. No, no. Lin- Linda Rogers, Linda Forsyth, Forsyth, Linda, I don't yeah, know. Forsyth. Linda Forsyth. I think it was. Or was it John Forsyth who was the main actor? Mm. 
Now you've got me. Uh, you know, you know time, when we were filming it, I knew all these. It was so long ago. But yeah, yeah, you played Heather Locklear. That's pretty cool. Yeah. Richie Sambora's girlfriend. Yeah, you know what? Well, was. <laughs> was Wife, I don't know. Oh, cause, oh that's right, because are they together now? No, they were together. They're, yeah. they're divorced. Yeah. Uh, I think he, she ended up, uh, you know, I need to get up back on my yeah, trash. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I, I know what you mean. read my trashy mag. So, so uh, was that fun to work on? Where they shoot that? So that was all shot in Sydney, mm. all at Fox Studios. Mm. It was fun. It was really good. The and US. just to, to be able to play someone that's so iconic. Yeah. You know, I grew up watching Melrose Place mm. and all of those types of shows that she was on. So, you know, the second I got offered the role of Heather Locklear, I was mm. just like, of course. That's pretty cool. Yeah, so it was really good. And just to dress up in those real, what era was that? Like Puppy early, 80s. Early 80s, yeah, yeah. the big puff sleeves yeah. and the massive hair. and Like what you're wearing now. <laughs> Shut up. Yeah. Um, yeah. Well, actually, I do have a shoulder pad on. Oh, do you really? Can I touch so, it? Well, yeah. Yeah, you, you do have a bit of padding there. This is a Sassenbide modern version. Looks good. You like Sassenbide? Is that your label? You know what? I don't have a label. Mm. I'm one of those girls that have a walk past it. And it's cheap. It. <laughs> yeah. If it's on sale, yeah. it's mine. Yeah, exactly. The bane of my husband's existence. You know what? He, I'm like, but I saved so much money. Mm. And he's like, exactly. yeah. <laughs> Who cares? Yeah, it was on sale. Don't you realize? And he's always like, yeah, you know what? <laughs> Spending a grand mm. to save uh, 500 bucks yeah. is not saving money. Hey, uh, so I put my career on hold for you to have these kids. I can make myself feel good by buying some nice clothes. That's exactly right. That's you know, that's my argument every time. Mm. So what's also, this? You know what? I'm I'm the new phase for me is it's all about making that cash that that bank account flow again. Oh yeah, and and you know, it sounds like it's going to do with everything that you got on the go. And like, what's this? What's this movie you're doing in the states? Yeah, so I have a bit of a mentor. And he is, uh, his name's William Whitecloud, and he wrote... That's such a cool name. I know. I am William Whitecloud. You know what? I am yet to ask him if it's real. I really need to No way is that real. You reckon? I'm going to ask him. But it is such a great name. And so he wrote The Magician's Way and The Last Shaman, Hmm. and they're both sort of... I guess it's kind of about eradicating dysfunctional... um, things in your mind and you know, you know how everyone's got that critic on their shoulder mm. you know you say I'm going to do this and then that little devil on your shoulder saying yeah. oh well you're not good enough for that we or, are our own worst enemy where yes we are and so he is amazing at I guess helping you live more in your own light mm. as opposed to living in the now like the li- power of now sort of living in the now but yeah just sort of disarming that critic mm. And so, because yeah. our brains just go a million miles an hour. Oh, it's so hard in in society. the monkey brain. It is, it is, and it doesn't help that you've got a thousand things. You know, you wake up every morning and you've got, you know, the TV on, and then you've got this happening, and then you've got, you know, especially yeah. you being a mom. You know, yeah. you got, got these kids, and you got your husband's career, and you got your career you're thinking about, and you got all these people to organise and things you got to do. Do you do you do any sort of meditation or mindfulness kind of stuff? Yeah, so I've, I've got this crazy thing that I bought from my acupuncturist called the brain tap. It's, it is almost like cheating for meditation and hypnosis. It is. What is this? It is the weirdest contraption I've ever seen. No, you're a witch. It's a magic wand, isn't it? (laughs) It is. You know what? It is almost like something out of the future. So it's this, these LED lights in, on these mic, uh, like headphones. Mm. And then there's this blue LED light that goes over your eyes. I saw a girl with that on the plane. 
Get out, really? Yeah, and it just plugs into like this little it charger. Plugs into your What is that thing? Phone. What it's is it? It's nuts. It's so awesome. So there's like a library of things. And so you can do anything from meditation to rewiring your brain to learning Japanese to I don't know, um, losing weight to eating healthy habits. Uh, or, or, just, or changing just, healthy habits or, you know, dietary stuff. What, whatever it is, there's a library full of stuff. So you well, just, well, like it's, it's an audio, like a podcasty yeah, so, kind so of thing awesome. and, and you, you have flashing lights in your eyes to help you program your brain or something. Yeah, so it's sort of – I generally do it when I go to bed at night and first thing in the morning. And How long for? Uh, 20 minutes. And um, does that help? <laughs> yeah, oh, no, we need to know because – like some people meditate for like an hour every day and some people meditate. I've got a mate that meditates for like five minutes every day yes. and like I haven't done it for months, but whenever I do, it, it seems to be able to help me get, get all my ducks in order for the day of what I've, what I've got to do. Yeah, you, you have to have something in your life that quietens the mind and, and helps you have a perspective on where you're going and I think sometimes the chatter and the, the busyness of life just gets in the way, you know. So it's nice. So for me, um, yeah, I'm kind of doing that. But then I'm also doing this work with William. And going back to your original question, yeah. which was the project in the States. So he wrote those books and now he's adapting it for screen, mm -hmm. the first original book. Mm. And so What's the book a, called? The Magician's Way. Yeah. And it is essentially about self-empowerment. Mm. But it has quite a cool, really good story mm. um, in it yeah, along well. the way. So, yeah. Cool. So you're helping him with the screenplay and hopefully you get to act in it? Yeah, I'm not helping him with that side of things. I'm more just – I've been offered the role um, of quite a crucial character in the movie. Oh. And, yeah, I mean, hopefully nothing's signed on the dotted line, so I'm hoping it all comes off because I'm, like, putting it out there right now. But, you know, we've had lots of conversations about it and yeah, wow. spoken to the producers about it, so – Oh, that's awesome. Something to look yeah, forward to. Kind of talking out of school here, but yeah, yeah, yeah something to look forward to. And then um, uh, I think, you know, there's uh, wheels in motion for another feature film mm. towards the end of the year, maybe early next year. Well, whoever your new agent is, they're going to love you. You've got all this work lined up already happening. It's so yeah. cool. Yeah, yeah, so that's it. You know what? I'm just sick of waiting for it. You know, you have to kind of at some point go, okay, well, well, you know, Momentum creates more momentum, yeah. and so once it's such a big thing in this industry, momentum isn't it? Like having one big gig, and you got to keep lining up all the next ones straight after it. Yeah, totally. You got to keep all, and they have so many irons in the fire. And is that the saying? Yeah, I've got a totally. real bad habit of you know mixing my sayings yeah, up. No, no, you got you got to have a lot of fingers in different pies, <laughs> a lot of fingers in different fires if you mix them up. <laughs> but it, it's true, you know, in our line of work, you've got to be doing the voiceovers, you've got to be going and hosting the random events and TV shows, unless you're like a, you know, a George Clooney or, you know, some other, you know, massive actor who's, they can just pick and choose different acting gigs. I mean, you've got to have a lot of other things on the go, I find. But even then, he's got restaurants here and there and he, they've, they've all got other yeah. interests, they're all doing... Yeah. Do you do anything else like you like I don't know property development or what's what's the, what's the other side of Holly that we don't know? Yeah, well, I've been through that phase with my husband. We did we do a fair bit of property uh, stuff. We got a bit over that though. You know, once you get a bit of a portfolio happening, yeah, renovating sucks. Oh, uh, well, and also then it's you know if you do have those, then there's the management fees and the I don't know. It just got to a point where we were just overpaying rates and fees and. All that sort of stuff. Sucks. Sort of deviated a little bit now, and he's he's got the full business head, so uh, he does a lot of um, more corporate type 
stuff. And then, yeah, obviously with me going into more of the producing side, um, yeah, there's a lot that I want to do with that. And then, yeah, I've always got a thousand ideas running through my head in that crazy, um, you know, full uh, brain of mine. There's always, you know, a, a gazillion things going through my mind at any one What's your husband second. do? What's he doing now? He's marketing or something, isn't he? Yeah, so he had a company called King Content, which was um, largely a content marketing company. Mm. And then before that, it was an SEO company. It's mostly digital type stuff mm. online um, is his background. So he's the business brain and you're the creative genius. Oh, uh, yeah, you could put it that way. <laughs> I don't know. I wouldn't go that far. But yeah, he is. He's definitely very good at what he does. And yeah, awesome. good good team. Mm. Yeah, I think hopefully we're, we're, you know, we've got plans to do some stuff together and... Yeah, see what happens. How do you look so good? What is the story? You've had two kids. You look amazing. You, you don't look a day over 30. Mm. You know, even, you could even look younger than that, seriously. Like, you got any beauty secrets you want to share with those young upcoming actresses out there? Mm. Well, thank you. You trained, you exercise. Thank you for saying that because... You I'm... meditate and run after the kids. That's all we know. Do you do yeah. anything else? I went through a real phase of yoga. I find that really helps mm. with that whole thing that you were talking about of... Really just trying to calm the mind and calm the body. Yoga's great. I, I, I wish I'd do it more. I, I, I try to do it as often as I can, but it just, I just feel like everything's moving around in your body so much more. And the, the Chinese have got a saying that I learned when I was there. Um, like it's the same word as cancer. It means stagnant blood. And, oh, yeah. and that's why they, they go out there and they do all this, you know, moving around. What's that called when they stand in the park and they, yeah, yeah, they throw their... Uh, no, Qigong. Qigong. That's it. Qigong. Qigong. So they're Qigonging in the park and it's like a form of, of yoga. I mean, it, it just makes you feel so much better, doesn't it? So just yoga, is that all you do? Yeah, a bit of yoga and I've just literally joined a gym mm. nearby and uh, that's got you know swimming pools and saunas and steam rooms and all that. So I'm trying to get into to all of that sort of stuff. Yeah, up until now I found it really hard to to fit a lot of exercise into the into the schedule. Like seriously, it's just so hard when you have kids. But I am, now that my youngest is four and she's about to go to school and you know, I'm just really trying to, to, to get to the gym and have that me time. But yeah, I don't know. I, maybe it's diet because, I've, because I'm a celiac. I naturally yeah. can't eat gluten. You cut and the crap out of your diet. That's not good for you. I really feel that dietary stuff is very important. Speaking of which, I need a burger. <laughs> yeah, I'm so hungry as well. Let's eat something. Yes. I think we're finished now. We've been banging on for like an hour or so anyway. Holly Brisley, thank you so much for being on the mic. Good luck with your movies that are coming out and your career. It's good to see that you're getting back on the horse after having these kids and making shit happen. You legend. Thank you. And same to you. You're all, you've always got so much interesting stuff happening. and Yeah, it's just good to spend time with you. Yeah, cool. Let's go and have a burger, a, a uh, gluten-free one. <laughs> yeah, burger without the bun. I love the Bondi hipsters. Can I have a burger without the bun? Without the, they end up having with, like a, just a mushroom on the plate. <laughs> or they go into a cafe and say, hi, can I please have a glass of tap water and your Wi-Fi password? <laughs> <laughs> that's uh, that's Bondi for you. I love those guys. They're awesome. Thank you, Holly Brisley. Uh, thank you. You've been listening to On The Mic with Mike Goldman. Subscribe, download and review at iTunes, Audio Boom, Stitcher or your favourite podcasting app. For more, like us on Facebook and follow us on Twitter. This has been another quality podcast production from Bytes.com.